1945, and you have the role of computer with the United States military. You and 100 other women. Your job, calculate by hand the angle soldiers should fire at based on how far the target is, the weather conditions, etc. It takes a bit of time to do. A problem that two male engineers believe they can fix with their machine ENAC, or Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer. For it to work, they would need six female computers to perform calculations on it. The women selected were Jean Bartik, Frances Holberton, Frances Spence, Marlon Meltzer, Kathleen Motchley, and Ruth Tittlebaum. They essentially became the first programmers, and they were instrumental in teaching future software engineers. However, it was the two men who created the machine who received the recognition, awards, and praise. The women weren't even invited to the army reveal dinner for it. Women working in the tech industry isn't anything new. They helped build and create the internet we know today. Women being sidelined in a corporate world built for men by men also isn't anything new. We've been breaking down those barriers for centuries. My guest this week works with Twitter, a platform not necessarily known for being a welcoming space for women. She's worked with the company for six years and has been working in the industry for 20. So she has some interesting insight into what it's like to be a woman in the tech industry. My name is Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality, a podcast that explores how technology is shaping our future. Today, I'm looking at how to break through the glass ceiling in the tech industry. Meet Andrea McDonald. I work at Twitter Canada, and my role is a sector lead. Uh, so I work in the large client solutions team, working with brand marketers, helping them to activate on Twitter. Can you kind of go into more of just what brand activation looks like on Twitter? Sure. So um, brands, you know, all over the world come to Twitter to, you know, tap into the audiences that are coming to see and share what's happening in the world today. And so my team will work with the largest brand marketers in Canada, helping them to think about what ad products they can leverage to get their messages across on Twitter, how they can, um, you know, use the platform strategically, what types of brand voice that they should be leveraging to speak to audiences effectively. That's the kind of work that my team, my team does. Now, obviously, this episode isn't about brand activation on Twitter, so if you were here for that, I'm sorry. No, this episode is about women in the tech industry. And Andrea's story is a really good example of not only a woman making waves in her field, but why we need strong female leaders in tech roles. How have you been in the tech industry for? I, oh my goodness, it's wild. For me to say this, but it's been almost 20 years. And, you know, I feel really old when I say that, but I don't feel like it's been 20 years. But I, I was very fortunate to start my career uh, in digital media. I started fresh out of college and I've, you know, worked my way throughout the digital media industry in Toronto. Uh, and it's been, you know, almost 20 years next year, uh, which is, um, like I mentioned, wild for me to think about. What's it been like being a woman in a male dominated field? Tech does have this uh, perception that it is male dominated. And I think there's certain pockets within tech that are absolutely male dominated, um, certain, you know, modes of, of work. Um, but for me specifically, so I started my career in digital media um, at, a, at a media agency, and I quickly moved over into digital media sales, 
And um, I would say that, you know, I, was, I worked for traditional media companies that had, you know, you know, broadcast arms, print arms, and then digital teams. And these are the early days of, of digital media. And they actually were quite female dominated. And so I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of my career with many amazing female counterparts and female leaders. Now, the companies that I've worked for, the leadership definitely has been male dominated. And, you know, I've seen that really shift over the years. And so I think what I would say about, you know, the experience, because, you know, I kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth on, you know, what it's been like, I think when you're working in a male dominated area, or if you're in a boardroom, you know, working with a lot of men, it's, I often think about this, we all have female and male traits within us. And um, I've been reading about this recently, a lot lately, is like the energy that we embody, and you know, what is female, and what is masculine, when you're working with a lot of men, it's how do you embody, you know, you're still bringing your full female self. But there's a lot of masculine traits that we a lot of us have that we can tap into to make sure that we're being effective and that we're communicating, you know, with authority and strategically and our competitive sides can come out. And so it's really making sure that you can balance both of those being authentic to yourself, but bringing, you know, both your masculine and your feminine side to anywhere that you work, um, which is very interesting. It's sometimes though, as a woman, cause I'm, I come from a background in like film industry and also uh, content creation, both of which mainly film being really male dominated fields. And you have an issue where if you, try to stay true to who you are as a female, you can kind of come off as bitchy or intense or angry or just like emotional, where if a man does the same thing in the boardroom, like he gets upset or he gets like excited about something, it's like encouraged. It's that's how they're supposed to be. I don't know how true that is in the tech sector, but have you experienced that in your career? (laughs) Yes. So yes, yes, I have. Uh, Yes, I have. So I went through this training a few, um, maybe it was last year. There's a, an amazing woman. Her name is Susanna Baldwin. She just wrote a book. She's out of San Francisco and she does a lot of training for Twitter executives. And she talks about this aspect. We really have to thread the needle. It's the, the expression that she uses of staying authentic to yourself, bringing in your inherently female you know, authenticity, but then also threading that needle with with balance of, you know, how do you communicate the way that is going to come across the way that's going to earn respect, that's going to um, have authority, that's not going to be seen as overly emotional. I kind of want to back up a little bit and talk about the concept that I was reading about recently about, you know, the difference between like inherently female traits and inherently masculine traits and how we can bring them to the work that we do and how it can help you and kind of thinking about leveraging both. And so I didn't make this up. This is something that I've read recently, but it's really interesting. It was kind of a bit of an aha moment for me. The feminine or female traits can be described as, you know, very emotional, uh, intuitive, nurturing, you know, all these classic feminine attributes, right? And then whereas masculine energy, and we all, we all have these, we have to use these every day is the competitive, authoritative, strategic, getting things done. We all have both of them inside of us. And so women or people who identify as women might rely on their feminine a lot, whereas the masculine men might rely on their masculine a lot. We both need to rely on both in order to be in balance and in harmony and to be able to work effectively. And so if you're in those environments where you feel like your ideas are being heard and you, um, you know, whereas a man might be able to express himself in, in one way or another, you might be over indexing on one versus the other. And so how can you find the balance of both of those in order to, 
to get your message across. And so it's really exploring that. Everyone is different. Every situation is different. Every dynamic that you're working with, the people who you're working with are different. And so it's really going to take being very, very aware of the energy that you're kind of embodying is how I think about it a lot of the time. Even with the advances in bias awareness and knowing the need for diversity, there is still a huge disparity in the tech industry with the amount of women in executive roles. I mean, currently in 2022, there are only two African-American female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And in 2021, only 2% of the billions in venture capital funding went to female founded companies. So there's still a glass ceiling to break and a boys club to break into. But powerful voices are beginning to express the need for women in these boardrooms. Like Apple CEO Tim Cook, who said there's no good excuse for the lack of women in the industry. There's a lot of women in tech, but the actual executive roles are still primarily male dominated. From just my own research at Twitter, it's essentially... 44% women working there, but only 19% of the executive team is women. Bit of a disparity where we're seeing women being able to enter into the field, but not at the table. I'm curious to hear why a woman's perspective and presence in the boardroom in these executive roles is imperative to the future of tech. Or if you agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, when you hear those stats, it's so disheartening to hear. And when I think about the executive team at Twitter Canada, and I think about the executive team and the large client solutions and customers org that, that I'm a part of, half of our leadership team are women. You know, the regional VP that my boss reports into is a woman. The head of our customers org is a woman, a young woman, a mother. But then you see the stats, you're like, oh, wow, yeah. When you really go up the ranks, we're falling short. And so, you know, it's nuanced with a couple of different things. I think that this is kind of a bold thing to say, and it might not be the popular thing to say, but I think women, like, we got to do it. Like, we're the ones that need to go for the roles, and we need to believe in ourselves, and we need to be the ones who are standing up and taking those places. It has to start, start with us. There's so many barriers that are placed um, that there's reasons why, you know, you know, just cultural conditioning and, you know, patriarchal forces that we've all been battling Mm -hmm. against and these like rooted beliefs that we have and what it means to be a strong woman and how to, you know, show up for ourselves and speak with authority. And so there's so much work that still needs to be done there. I think it's happening. I think that there's a lot of intentional focus that's happening. You know, when I was early on, I've been at Twitter for six years. Early on in my, you know, I think it's in the first year, um, I was one of the second cohorts to go through a program called We Lead. And it was specifically designed for, uh, you know, the aspiring leaders and the up and coming leaders of the organization for women to all get together and to talk about some of the challenges that we face and how we can ascend, you know, more into leadership positions. And I've seen a lot of the women in this cohort really, really grow in the ranks at, at Twitter. But one of the complaints that we often have, it's like, oh, it's all women here. We're the ones all talking about this this challenge. We need to bring the, the men in and ask them to be a part of the solution. And a lot of them are very unaware of, of the challenges that we face and, and some of the biases that we feel. Really bringing more male allies into the fold and, and talking to them about some of these challenges. There's so many. They, they want to listen. They, they want to be a part of the solution. I think we need to do a better job of bringing them in. I think, though, we're making a ton of progress, which is really great to see. After the break, we'll look at how the tech industry roadblocks have changed and Twitter's approach to moderating the public conversation. 
we haven't quite broken the glass ceiling, but we're, we're getting there. Some women have done it. And I think just having, I actually, I found an interview where you were talking about the strong female mentors you had throughout your career. Yes. Having those mentors above you, the people who have already like broken that glass and are making ways are so key to allowing other women to come into those positions and like feel like they have a spot at the table. It's, it's just becoming, <laughs> I was going to say better, but <laughs> there's, there's, I guess. Yeah, it's improving. Yeah, yes. <laughs> We're getting somewhere. We're making yeah. headway. You mentioned roadblocks preventing women from getting into tech nowadays. I'd love to hear what those roadblocks are now versus what you experienced, just kind of going off of how it's changed. When I was early on in my career, I, you know, kind of had, you know, the blinders on and you're just, you're able to, to really tap in and to put the energy in and to compete with all of your colleagues that are beside you, you know, equally. My working world and, and how I was able to, to show up in some roadblocks that presented in front of me was when I decided to become a mother. And not everyone, you know, makes that choice, but a lot of women do. And, you know, a lot of women face um, just a disparity in the workload of the home life um, when you when you are a parent. And so I've really seen an evening in the playing field, though, which is so great to see in that a lot of tech companies are offering full, you know, paid leave for both parents um, and really, really encouraging fathers to take parental leave. Such a wonderful thing to see because it really, really helps, you know, especially like young women in their, you know, late 20s, mid 30s where there was bias. I remember, you know, back in the day hearing people like not want to consider certain people for roles because they thought they were going to start a family soon and they were worried about the parental leaves and how that would impact, you know, moving the business forward. And when it's men and women are equally both going off on parental leaves, it really evens that playing field. And so that's a huge, huge improvement. Also how we're approaching now this hybrid world of working remote and in the office really helps to even the playing field. We're really looking more at like actual results, what people are delivering on versus how much time you're spending in the office. Uh, you know, that's such an old school mentality that really existed in the past. And it still exists in some organizations to this day, but it's it's making so much progress. And I think that you'll see more and more women, especially women who decide to be mothers, be able to deliver and um, compete with other their other colleagues. So that's, it's great to see. Implementation of paid leave for both mothers and fathers is, first of all, incredible because I think we should be able to encourage men, <laughs> encourage fathers to be a father um, and not just stick with those old archaic roles of the man goes to work, the woman stays home with the kids. Absolutely. And it's hard for them. You know, the men who are on my team who really struggled with, you know, I'm worried about, about going off. I'm worried about what the message that sends. And I genuinely say to them, like, do it for your family, but also know that every time you do this, like this helps every mother, like it really does. Like you're setting a new trend and a new cultural expectation of what it means to be a working parent. And so I think we're going to see in the next 10, 20 years, that shift have a real meaningful impact, which will be great. And I know a lot of men also have like welcomed that into their lives just because they've never had that option to take time off to spend with their newborn. It's incredible. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we, we often, you know, these conversations are often centered around, you know, women, because we're the ones who are, you know, trying to break through that glass ceiling. And, you know, we feel like we can't bring our, you know, our feminine attributes and being emotional and, you know, all those things into the boardroom. But, you know, what we don't talk a lot about is the men who are also, you know, victims of patriarchal conditioning and how they're expected to behave in the boardroom and the behavior that they're expected to 
to embody and how, you know, helping, you know, as we, as women, you know, figure it out and get more balance? How can, you know, men also balance out and bring more of their feminine attributes and their nurturing and their emotional intelligence and all those things. And so it just, it helps everyone. Um, we just, we often talk about the impacts on women, but there's going to be a lot of great impacts for men too, which is going to be great. Kind of speaking about <laughs> the patriarchy and kind of all the stuff that comes <laughs> out of it. Um, Twitter yeah. is a very interesting platform, love Twitter, but it's also sometimes refer to like as the angriest social media and a lot of it does like attack women so i'm curious kind of how is twitter like <laughs> i'm trying to think, think of the best way to phrase this like how can twitter become a force for good in society and drive these better conversations that are already happening on the platform but not like losing them amongst all the other yeah. Twitter's purpose, you know, what we what we bring to the world is to serve the public conversation. And the tools that we we create, the products that we we bring to the world are all, you know, anchored under that that main purpose. Making sure that people who come to our service are able to enjoy all the benefits of it in a safe way. And so there's a number of things that we do in order to improve the health of the conversation. So whether it's the policies that we write, so we're always looking at our policies and making sure that they're up to date and there's ways for, um, you know, if they need to be updated to make sure that we can protect, you know, people who might be, you know, more at risk. Um, we're always looking to, to do that. We also have products that we are always um, implementing and, and rolling out that our audiences can leverage. So whether that's muting conversations, whether that's, you know, how they're able to report on conversations, we have, um, a new tool called Birdwatch, which is a way for community members to report on things that might be happening on the service. And then there's just partnerships that we we employ to leverage technology that's able to help us to to weed out any of the the bad actors. And so, you know, it's not perfect. We're always iterating. There's always, you know, you think about Twitter. It's it's a mirror of of, of what people are saying. If there's important things that are happening, or people are saying things on and off the service, um, it's, it, you know, it's playing out on Twitter. And so the world is messy and sloppy. And sometimes, you know, these, these terrible things come to light, but we're always innovating to try and make sure that it's as, as safe as possible for the people who use our service. Twitter is, it's such a key platform and just knowing what is happening. Like, I know if I hear something is going on, the first place I go is Twitter, just because I know that's where I'm going to find the conversations and kind of get an insight into what people are thinking. So I love the idea of serving the public conversation in your time of working there. How have you seen the, like this conversation change and the approach to serving the public conversation change? We have always been rooted under this mission of serving the public conversation. So I started in 2016. I remember in 2018, Jack Dorsey, our CEO at the time, he said it was our number one priority. It was existential that we focused on the health of that conversation. And it was really categorized as two forms of health. So health on the quality of information, so tackling any forms of misinformation, and then the conduct on the platform, so how people are interacting with each other. And so the progress has been significant. Before we ended the call, I asked Andrea where she saw women in tech going in the next 10 years. We're going to be running it. Um, no, I, I think that we'll see more women at the leadership table. I certainly hope so. I think our voices are incredibly important. I think that the perspective that we bring 
the emotional intelligence, the, 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 the you know, the points of view, um, but also just the absolute competitive strategic powerhouse nature that is a woman to be able to get things done. So I think we'll see more and more women at the leadership table. It will be great to see more women, you know, in the technical spaces. So, you know, my experience has been on the business side, the sales and marketing side, which has typically been dominated by women. There's been so much progress though on the STEM side, more female engineers in leadership positions. And so I think we'll see more and more of that um, in the future. And as, you know, technology evolves, as, you know, work from home and remote work um, evolves, I think we're going to see a lot of change and it's going to be really positive. So I'm really excited. I mean, my hope in the next 10 years is that we don't need to have this conversation about women in tech. Honestly, true. Yes, absolutely. And I think we're getting there. I genuinely do. I genuinely do. It's no longer strange to see a woman executive in the tech sector. It's just rare. But thankfully, some women have been able to breach the barriers holding them back, paving the way for other women to follow along. As for Twitter, it's not always the healthiest platform for one's mental health, and it's not really hard to see the difference between how males and females are treated on it. Twitter, of course, can only do so much at the end of the day to moderate the narrative. You can report, block, and mute people, but they'll always unfortunately come back, even if the platform bans them. So, as the tech industry pushes humanity into the 21st century, it comes down to the rest of us to make sure our social practices keep up with the times. Thank you for listening to Technality, a Narcity Media podcast. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. Thank you to my executive producer, Owen Leach, and to Jackie Van Dinther for the production assistance. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to never miss out on where your future is headed. And for more tech content, check out Technality Socials.